Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started today, so if you haven't had a chance to get some coffee or donuts, we'll go ahead and do that real quickly here. Amen. Good to, good to be with you today in the presence of the Lord, and thank all of you uh, so much for being here. We are, we are in the book of Revelation for our Bible study today. And uh, we will pick back up here in the ninth. We just started this study. Now we're in our third week. And uh, we'll start back at, uh, at uh, Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to pick back up at verse 9. Uh, there's just a couple points I did not get a chance to make last week that I want to reiterate with you. Now, <clears throat> we will be... Uh, we, we will be covering a lot of uh, information that's, that we consider to be very, very important uh, that connect to Bible prophecy. Uh, we'll try to avoid this, just trying to, the sensationalism of, of what I feel like that sometimes uh, when you take one facet of prophetic events and you try to place everything, all the significance on that one event, what we're going to try to do is keep all that in balance. We will be talking about a lot of people, of course, are aware of the blood moons, and we'll be talking some about that uh, as we go forth. Of course, we're going to be talking about Daniel's 70th week. Uh, these things what will connect, and we'll start that part of the process probably when we get to chapter 4 and 5 because things will change drastically in this book uh, from, from chapter 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 4, chapter 1, 2, and 3 happen on the earth. Uh, chapter 4 and going forward happens in heaven. So things change drastically. We're going to see a shift from the earth from John's perspective, and we will hear things that have never been heard, never been released, never been uttered on this earth. Uh, Paul got a glimpse of that when he was called up one time to the third heaven. He said, I heard things that would be unlawful for me to utter. And uh, what he meant by that was, I don't have the ability nor the words to describe what I saw, what I experienced. And for me to try to describe them to you, I would do them a great injustice. And so one of the neat things about Revelation, when you begin to understand uh, for example, when we talk about the beast in Revelation chapter 4, you're going to find out those are not beasts at all, but the Bible goes on to tell you that these are redeemed men of, and women of God that was redeemed from the earth. So many things that you're going to see uh, from John's perspective, and some of the things that John the Revelator describes to us in the book of Revelation chapter 4 going forward has to do with a first century prophet, a first century prophet looking at 21st century technology and trying to describe 21st century technology in 1st century uh, understanding our terminology. And so when you see that, we can, we, can, we can break down some of those things. I want to go back, of course, we're talking about the, the church uh, at, uh, we talked about the church at Ephesus, now we're talking about the church at Smyrna. Uh, I want to go back here to verse 9. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, uh, but thou art rich. I, I think it's important. This is one of those amazing things. Uh, Jesus looked at a church that the world called poor. Jesus called it rich. In the, in the church of Laodicea, the Laodiceans called themselves rich, 
Jesus called them poor. And so this book is all about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me go back. Uh, he said, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. The world says you're in poverty, but, but I say you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. And then here is this amazing phrase, but are the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue of Satan. Now, when we get to Pergamos, I'm going to talk more about this. Uh, because Pergamos, uh, Jesus himself refers to Pergamos as the seat or the headquarters of Satan on this earth. He's gonna, he, he actually calls Pergamos the headquarters or the seat. It is the place where Satan, now we know that Satan is the prince and power of the air. Satan is not allowed to, to inhabit this earth yet. There will be a time in the book of Revelation, you're going to find out that the Bible says he will be cast down on the earth for a season. Right now, uh, demonic spirits called demons that are operated by Satan, Lucifer himself, have a geographic stronghold around this world. One of the things you'll always notice that, and, and I think this is significant, anytime you see persecution of the Christians or, or the saints of God, you're going to see a concentration of the power of the devil. Smyrna is given to us, and Christ talks about Smyrna, and he talks, and he said, many of you, and not all of you, but some of you, he said, will be cast into prison. Some of you will give your life, not all of you, but some of you. Smyrna is the type of the persecuted church uh, which has existed from the time of Christ all the way forward till now. Uh, those of us who understand Bible prophecy on this level, and I'll be talking to you much about this from this perspective. My understanding of Scripture, I do not apologize for it. I've studied all the three positions of prophecy. My personal understanding of prophecy is that the next event on the calendar of God's prophetic word would be the catching away of the church. We would call that the rapture of the church. And then the Great Tribulation, which is a seven-year period that will end with the Battle of Armageddon. Brother Mike Gay mentioned the Battle of Armageddon just a moment in his sermon in the 830 service. But, but having said that, I so saw everything I'm going to teach you from Revelation chapter 4 going forward will be from the perspective that the church is the body of Christ, the blood-bought body of Christ is in heaven from Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. Then I'm going to give you about 30 scriptural references and 30 reasons why I believe that that the church is called up in uh, before the great tribulation period now having said that that does not eliminate the possibility of persecution uh, the early church was persecuted all but one of the original disciples was was martyred John who wrote this book of Revelation is the only of the original apostles who died of a natural death uh, we're going to talk a little bit, Smyrna, and what's incredible about these seven churches, not only were they seven churches that existed at John's day, but there are seven church ages. Now, looking back, John could not have known this then. But now, 2,000 years now later, we can look back through history, and we can now look at the history of the church, and we can see 
Each one of these are not just churches that existed 2,000 years ago, but they, they became church ages, or they became a part of time frames that speak to the ongoing body of Christ, and, and so that in any generation, in any generation, any church, present tense church, could have characteristics of any of these churches preceding us. For example, we, we, the, the, the Ephesians church, which was an incredible church, but it was also a church that had left its first love. Uh, that can happen to us. The, the, only, the only church that Jesus had nothing good to, there was only one that he had nothing good to say about, and that was the church of Laodicea. And that spirit, that is why it's so difficult to, to fight, to stay on fire, to stay to, 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 to hold on to truth, to hold on to the, the to godly principles because we are living in a, the Laodicean church age. Now, we, I'm going to show you that we are, uh, we, the present day church, spirit-filled church is the Philadelphian church, and I can prove that in the scripture, but the Philadelphian church is existing in the midst of the Laodicean church age, which is a lukewarm church that, Jesus said, because you're not hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. And so there is, well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself on that one. Let me go back here to Smyrna. Now, he talks about, uh, he talks about this, the persecution. Some of you are going to suffer. Uh, he says, some of you are going to be tried by the devil. Now, he said, verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. He, he identifies where this prison, where this is coming from. It's an antichrist spirit that's generated by Satan himself. And be tried and shall have tribulation ten days. I think it's so incredible, important that you understand that God, even when the devil rises up against us, God limits the power of the devil because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And our enemy, the devil, can never, ever overcome the child of God who puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, ever. So if you're going through something, amen, if you're going through something, Jesus said to the church of Smyrna, he, just, he said, you, you may have about 10 days of trouble here, but you're going to come out of this victorious, and you're going to have overcome with a crown of life. But he said, I, he, one of the things that he compliments the church of Smyrna on, he said, you have had to battle with this segment of the church that are legalistic. It is a, it is a, it is a group of people that, can, that call themselves Jews or call themselves uh, Christian Jews who are not, and they actually belong to the, the synagogue of Satan. Now, it should not shock us that, there is, that Satan has his church. Satan has a church. Just like Christ has a church, Satan has a church. Yes, he is trying to duplicate. The, there is Christ. There is the devil's duplication, Antichrist, who will try to duplicate the miracles of Christ in, the, in these days and in the end time, will try his best to, to, to show himself to be Christ. Amen. Could I just tell you right now that we have a God who has ready to reveal himself mightily to his church and to his people. 
and we ought not to be discouraged. We ought to be encouraged. No matter what you hear in the news, no matter what's going on in our world, God is still on his throne, and he is God, and he is in charge. He is in charge. Satan has a church, and Jesus called it the synagogue of Satan. He uses the word synagogue because he's talking to the early church, and most of them come from the Jewish background. They understood synagogue. That was the synagogue to the Jewish mindset was the, 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 the focal point of their religious system, the synagogue. And so Jesus said there is a synagogue of Satan operating inside of the city of Smyrna. There's also a church, there's a, there's a synagogue of Satan operating inside the city of Garland, inside every major metropolitan area. There, Satan has a church, the church of the synagogue of Satan. And he said, anyone that does not accept the finished work of the blood of Christ is a part of that. You, they say they're Jews, they say they understand, but they pervert the gospel they add to and take from the word of God. They add to in anybody that adds to the blood to get people saved. Said, you know, well, I know you're saved by the blood, but you got to do this. You got to do that. You can't be saved unless you do this. You can't be saved unless you look that way. You can. All he said that is the church of the devil. And he said, you. He compliments Smyrna by saying, you in the very midst of the seat or of the synagogue of Satan and you have fought this false doctrine day in and day out and you have remained faithful. You have remained faithful. Amen? Praise God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just a little history right here because I, I, I want to connect two things I want to do with the book of Revelation. We're going to teach it from a prophetic historic and prophetic significance we're also going to teach it and connect it to as much as i can to the present time so that this is not just uh, just just you know stuff that you learn about yet you can say okay wow now i can understand why this is happening with my in the school i can understand why this is taking place in our nation now i can see what is happening in washington now i can see what's happening in russia i understand what's going on in the european bloc i understand these things that are taking place when you begin to put this together and then you know you say well we're going to talk about the blood moons we're going to talk about daniel's 70th week which is incredible information and we're going to put that together so that when going forward, the church is going to have their eyes open and we're not going to be deceived, amen, by all this stuff that's going on around us. How, I'm not going to be deceived. Listen, I've served God too many years. I've held on to this. Many of you in this house, like me, you've, helped, you've served the Lord all of your life and we will not be deceived in these last days. We will not allow the enemy to deceive us in these last days. Amen. Now, this is, this is just, just pretty, pretty good information I want you to have. Polycarp, uh, the amazing church father who uh, his martyrdom is documented in, in history, even in secular history, certainly in church history. Uh, it is believed that Polycarp uh, was a convert of John we do know that that he became a born-again Christian as a young man maybe in his 20s uh, 
According to church tradition, he was one, he was, he was one of the bishops that, that pastored the church at Smyrna, okay? Uh, at 85, Polycarp was, was martyred in Smyrna uh, by the demonic influence of the Roman Empire that, that tried. Remember I told you when, when Domitian and uh, the Roman emperors began to implement emperor worship and you and all their people had to had to burn one pinch of incense once a year and sign their allegiance to rome or they could be and many of them were fed to the lions were put in the Colosseum in rome and and died there polycarp pastored the church at smyrna till he was 85 years old somewhere about his 84th birthday they the rome came against him the church convinced him, this is, now these are, these are traditions of the church, uh, convinced Polycarp that he ought to, for his own safety, leave the city. And so he went to a farm that was out in the country that was owned by one of his cousins or, family, or, or a family member. And he's there for a few days. While he was there, he had a dream of being burned at the stake. This is his story, his words. Uh, right after the dream, the Roman soldiers find they actually tortured his, his servant, tortured his young man that, was, that had helped care for him. They tortured him to the point where he revealed the location of where Polycarp was hiding. Uh, they go out. Uh, they, they go out to expecting to find this great, this is a man who has turned their city upside down. This is a man who has caused Rome more heartache than anybody else. He has preached the gospel. He has converted the Roman Empire in his area. They come out, and, and lo and behold, they find a creaky, little old, dried up, 85-year-old man. Just to, and they were shocked. Is this, is this the guy that Rome is afraid of? Is this the guy that... And, and, and they said, you know, they said, look, we don't, we don't want you. You're old. You're, you're dying anyway. We don't, want to, we don't want to have to mess with you. He said, why don't you just go ahead and, and do us all a favor and just burn the incense to Rome, and we'll go back and tell them that you, you, know, you, that you recanted. And he said, I will never recant. They take him to the city. They take him finally to the Colosseum. And there they give him one more opportunity. And he says, I will never recant. He said, he said, God has blessed me all my life. Why should I turn against him now? And the Roman governor overseeing that inquest said these words. Then Polycarp, the whole world is against you. And Polycarp said, then I am against the whole world. They took him to a stake and put the brush around it. And as they normally do, they were going to, they always, they nail the person's hands to the stake so that he can't run from the fire. Polycarp said, you don't need nails. Don't nail me. I won't run. They put him, they put the, they didn't nail him, they put the fire to his, to the brush. He wouldn't burn. It, could, it wouldn't burn him up. He wouldn't burn. And then they took a spear and stabbed him. 
And according to the tradition that the blood ran out of his body at such, so much that it put out all the flames. And then finally, he dies, not because they burned him to death or not because they stabbed him to death, but right in the midst of all of that, the Bible said, and this, I mean, history says, and even the Roman gen, uh, general that was in charge is recorded as saying, all of a sudden I heard a voice out of heaven saying, it's time for my servant to come home. That people actually heard a voice speak, and at that time, Polycarp died, not by the hands of the enemy, not by the hands of the devil, not by the hands of Roman, but God just called his servant home. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, we're gonna, let's, let's go just a little bit further here today. Uh, of course, you know that we... Uh, from, 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 from India to Iran, from, from South Africa to, 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 to nations of the world, there's a persecution going on right now. Uh, in Nigeria, many, many people have died recently. Preachers and children and families for the sake of the gospel. Uh, in, 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 in Liberia, in Sierra Leone, uh, certain areas in northern India, pastors and, and their entire families have been destroyed for the sake of the gospel. And they've been, been told, all you got to do is just quit preaching Jesus. And they say, We're not, we'll never quit preaching Jesus. So I'm just telling you right now, we are not faced with that kind of persecution now. But I tell you, we are faced with, we're faced with, there is, a, there is an underlying spirit that's beginning to ostracize Christians and Christian principles, and, and, and you can't really even have an opinion, even though we have freedom of speech in this country, you can't really have an opinion and still be able to work at certain companies. You can't have an opinion, be able to, 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 to ex exist in certain places. And so the spirit that took place in, in Smyrna is still alive and, and well today. Now let me go to, we're going to introduce to you the, the Church of Pergamos, and then we will finish that up next Sunday. And we will, we will start here in Revelation chapter 2. And let's begin at verse 12. Let me go back to verse 11. He that hath an ear to hear. Now, that's why I'm telling you, this, this writing was not just to the people 2,000 years ago. Jesus said, this is for everyone who has an ear to hear. That's us. It's a perpetual, ongoing word. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the churches, all right? And to the angel or to the pastor or to the, to the messenger of the church at Pergamos, write, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Let me just, something I forgot to mention to you. You remember when we went through the, the, the vision that, 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 not the vision, but when, when John actually saw Jesus in chapter 1, and he describes Christ. I told you this. That is the only place in the entire Bible that we find out how Jesus, what he looks like. There is no other description of Christ in the Gospels or even in the Old Testament. This, this is the only time, and we see him in a glorified body and position. And then he introduces himself by saying, I am, I am he who hath the seven I walk with seven candlesticks, and the seven stars are in my hand. I walk among the seven candlesticks. I am he that was alive and was dead. I am the, I, I am the first and the last. He introduces himself with several uh, uh, introductions, and then with each of these churches, 
And, we, and you need to probably go back and look at it. But with Ephesus and Smyrna and now with Pergamos, he uses a portion of his introduction in chapter 1 to each church. He doesn't use the same. He, didn't, he said to, to the church at Pergamos, I am, the, I am the one who had the two-edged sword. But, but, he, but he said, but he, but he said to, to Ephesus, I'm the one that holdeth the seven stars in my right hand as an introduction. Uh, he, he says to, to, to Smyrna, I'm the first and I'm the last. It's pretty amazing to me that he uses a portion of each of those descriptive terms describing his power and who he is to each of these churches. And the reason I believe he's doing that is because that introduction is exactly what they, they needed, that introduction, they needed that revelation for themselves at that time. They needed to hear. I am listen. I well, a lot of crazy things are going on in Ephesus, and and Lord said, but I'm telling you what, I'm the one. I hold. I got the church in my hand. He said, those seven stars are the seven churches, and I've got them in my right hand. And so this church needed to know. Oh, God still got us in His hand. He hadn't forgotten about us. We're still. He's still God to us. Amen. But now He will say to Pergamos. He will say to Pergamos. These things saith He which hath the sharp sword. With two edges. I know thy works. And where thou dwellest. Even where Satan's seat is. And where, would you, where do you think Satan's seat is today? Geographically. Where would you, you know, if you had to guess. 2,000 years ago, Satan's seat on this earth was in ancient in ancient Greece, at a, at a town called Pergamos, Satan concentrated his efforts and his spirit, spirits and his demonic empire in such a location geographically that Christ said Satan lives, per se, in Pergamos. And this church has overcome in an incredible way even having Satan's headquarters set up in their own town. That comes to tell you today that we are more than overcomers, that there's no weapon formed against us that shall prosper, that our enemy is under our feet. Hallelujah. We can stand today with the authority and the power of God and say, get behind me, Satan. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And the Bible said, if you will... Rebuke the devil. He will flee. You rebuke the devil and he will flee from you. Can you say amen, amen, amen. All right. I'm closing for today, but let me just give you just a couple of historical events here. Pergamos was the political capital of the Roman province of Asia. Uh, when John was writing, Pergamos had been the capital city of that region for more than 300 years. The city was noted center for culture, education, having the greatest library of the ancient world with over 200,000 at that time volumes, bound volumes in the great library at Pergamos. Pergamos was an extremely religious city. It had temples to the Greek and Roman gods. They worshipped uh, Zeus. They had uh, three temples dedicated to the worship of the Roman emperors. 
and 50 years before this message was written to Smyrna, they had won the honor, the city had won the honor of building the first temple to Tiberias. The city of Pergamos won the right to build the first temple to worship Caesar Augustus in the Roman province of Asia. It was especially known uh, for its deity known as Asclepius, and they were represented by a serpent or a snake. Isn't that interesting? Their mascot in Pergamos was a serpent or a snake. No wonder it's called the seed of Satan. This is where Satan lives. Ah. There, were, they, there was a medical school at the temple in Pergamos. Uh, because of the famous temple, the Roman god of healing, sick and diseased people from all over the Roman Empire would come to Pergamos for relief. And uh, this is just from Barclay's commentary, and I'll close with this. This is just since it, it's important to me, it's just since the city had used a snake as their mascot. Sufferers, this is from Barclay's um, Concordance. Sufferers were allowed to spend the night in the darkness of the temple. In the temple, there were tame snakes. And in the night, the sufferer might be touched by one of these tame and harmless snakes as it glided over the ground on which he lay. The touch of the snakes was held to be the touch of God himself. And the touch was held was held on to to bring health and healing. Now you think about a, you think about this, and in the middle of this whole thing, there's a church called Pergamos that the Lord compliments in their faithfulness and in their power and in the glory of God. Now, he also had some correction we'll talk about. But he says, I'm going to compliment you because not only have you overcome and preached the gospel, but you have done it right in the midst of a satanic place that's even known as the seat of Satan. I'll tell you this. If God was with the Christians in Pergamos, God is with the Christians in Garland. If God was in the... Come on. If God was with the Christians in Pergamos, God is with the Christians in North Texas. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for encouraging us today as we move forward in the book of Revelation. Thank you for divine revelation. Help us to discern the times that we live in and understand that these are the last days and we exalt and honor the name of Jesus and we declare today that we will not be moved and we will not allow this world system to deceive us but that we, Lord, will trust you and your word and in your powerful and wonderful name, Jesus, we ask this and everybody said amen. amen. Don't forget prayer meeting here in just, just a moment.